Well, a new month, a new series. Uh, we concluded last week our series on the Psalms. And if you were able to make it to the worship night, it was a great send-off to our series on the Psalms, spending time singing songs of praise to the Lord. Uh, this month we start a new series, A Call to Prayer, where we're going to focus a little bit of our attention and our time on um, the life the prayer life of the people of God. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it opens our hearts and our minds to the truth of who we are and the truth of the world around us. Lord, I pray that you might speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, my words might um, echo yours, Lord, that we might hear you speak um, as we dive into your word a bit more. Uh, and, Lord, that we might come away at the end of the day a little bit um, inspired, a little bit convicted, Lord, to uh, come before you more in, in our um, own personal lives of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beautiful. Matthew 21 is where we start today. Um, <clears throat> but let me start with a story. There was a, a mother and a boy, and uh, one day she heard uh, her boy praying. And, um, you know, he was saying, oh, God, if you give me a new bike, I will be good for a week. And uh, mum said to him after, oh, look, I don't, that's not really how, how we pray. That's not like, you know, it's not the best way to, to pray to God. And anyway, the next day came and she heard him praying again. She said, oh, God, if you give me a new bike, I'll, I'll be good for three weeks. She said, no, no, no that's, that's not what I meant. I'm, you can't, you can't bargain with God. You can't barter with him. Anyway, the next day she was doing some packing away and she found the little statue of Mary tucked in her son's um, sock drawer. And she pulled it out and she put it, went to put it back in the windowsill where it was meant to be and she found a, a little piece of paper there which was written in uh, her son's handwriting. Okay, Lord, if you want to see your mother again. <laughs> it's Father's Day, guys. You've got to give me a dad joke, all right? I think it's, it's a legal requirement on Father's Day. To start with a terrible joke. Um, but uh, we all can do a bit better in our prayer life, don't you think? You know, like we all, we all have a bit to learn. We all have areas to improve. I, I, I doubt there's any of us um, sitting here today that could say, no, 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 I'm good. This is what we're going to look at and think about. Our prayer lives as God's people. What the Bible says, what we learn um, from the teaching, from um, examples of prayer um, and how we can apply that to our lives. Now, I've picked a passage today that is quite a famous passage, but um, you might be scratching your head and think to yourself, well, what did, didn't have anything to do with prayer at all, did it? We'll get there. It'll make sense. You can trust me. Um, but it's a, a famous passage for, for lots of reasons. Um, I think one of the reasons is, is that uh, it's this great example of Jesus coming in, kind of showing some, some, some righteous anger that um, it's not just um, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but uh, he would come and stand up for those for whom he felt were being mistreated, particularly injustice of, um, of the, the common people. Uh, and when he goes into the temple and he throws over the tables and kicks them all out and makes a whip and drives them out, um, he's, he's, what he's doing is, is standing up for those who are being um, mistreated, taken advantage of through the temple system. 
Um, so to understand it, let's, let's take a little step back. Uh, if you remember from a couple of weeks back, we talked about the long journey to Jerusalem. Um, that a number of times a year, people from Israel would all come and they would take these long journeys into Jerusalem, particularly to go to temple, because the temple in Jerusalem, that's where God was. That was the place where you would go and you would make your sacrifice, you would, you know, atone for your sins, you would do those sorts of things, because the Holy of Holies in there was the Ark of the Covenant, that's where the presence of God really, really was. Um, But if you're going on a long, long journey, you don't really want to be carrying too much with you. So if, if you want to make a, uh, like a goat or a livestock or a whatever, sheep, you have to bring it with you. If you're going to do that, that's your first option. Your second option is to buy it when you're there. Makes more sense, doesn't it? Um, uh, or you would give a coin offering. You would bring coins and give a coin offering. Um, but they had a solution to that too. Um, they didn't want to accept the Roman and the Greek coins at the temple uh, because that was kind of the common... Um, currency of the day they had a special temple coin which was minted in Jerusalem that only people who were there in Jerusalem could get access to because it was only only existed in Jerusalem Um, and what you could do is go and you could exchange your coins for the temple coins to go give a a temple sacrifice so there are your two options you can either lug your cows and your sheep and whatever all the way from wherever carry you know walk them with you for hundreds and hundreds of miles or you could just buy stuff when you're there Great opportunity for all those who run the temples, particularly the Sadducees. Um, you had this captive market that had to come to you and they had to buy your stuff and they had to exchange their money for your coins. Um, basically, for your average Jew, it was worse than trying to buy like a burger and drink at the football. You know? You're just getting price gouged left, right and centre. Um, things that should cost $1, cost 2 you know, everything is just doubled and tripled in prices. Um, when Jesus sees this, he is infuriated because the people who are running the temple, the people who are supposed to be helping the people, um, God's people come and worship God in this way, were actually creating barriers for them to do it. They're actually making it harder for them to do it. And while they're there, instead of coming into this place of prayer and worship of God, they're probably sitting there the whole time just fuming over how much they've been ripped off, you know, like... The frustrating experience of knowing that you're being taken advantage of. Um, Instead of helping them come into a space when they could worship God, they were almost doing the opposite. Jesus is infuriated by this fact, uh, which is why I think all of the Gospels uh, include the story of the of the, the turning of the tables in the temple, right? It was quite an important thing, event, that happened um, in the ministry of Jesus. But this is what I want to focus on. When Jesus goes into the temple, uh, what is the accusation he brings against the Sadducees and the Pharisees, those who are running the temple? What is the thing that infuriates him so much, the ultimate sin in what they do? He says this in verse 13. It is written to them, My house will be called a house of prayer. You are making it a den of robbers. My house will be called a house of prayer. When Jesus uh, visits Jerusalem, if you you read through the Gospels, um, it actually talks about in some of the Gospels that 
he arrives kind of in the afternoon one day, he does a quick look around, and the first thing he does is he goes to just have a look in the temple, and then it's the following day that he goes in, in some of the accounts, um, and turns tables and gets upset. That first day when he gets there and pops his head in, he was expecting to see something. He was expecting something to be happening in that place that was not. When he got there and popped his head in, he expected to see a house of prayer. He expected to see a house where people were coming in prayer, connecting with the presence of God, and worshipping him in that way. But instead, the house of prayer had become a house of commerce. They totally lost their focus, lost their way, and forgotten what they were called to do. Um, they'd forgotten that the temple was not their house. It was not the house that belonged to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was not built by their hands. It was not for their own personal gain. It was God's house that they were there for. They were just the, the caretakers. They were just the stewards of God's house. And what was God's house there for? What was it meant to be for the people of Israel? It was meant to be a house of prayer. It was meant to be the place where people could come, soak in the presence of God, because there he is in the Holy of Holies, and come before him in prayer. But of course, when Jesus enters, he sees a farmer's market and a car boot sale, and he's not very happy. You know, in the times when uh, Israel was wandering in the desert, they had the tabernacle. They didn't have a temple made of stone. They had a big tent, and they would set up this big tent, and uh, this, the cloud, which they often followed through the desert, which was the presence of God, would rest on the tent, and that's when they knew. And there's, there's passages when um, it talks about they've set up their tent, there's you know, hundreds of thousands of people there, and they, and they look to where the tabernacle is, and they see the cloud descending, and they see Moses walking, and they, they know he's going to go and be in the presence of the Lord. You know, and Joshua, uh, Moses' um, uh, sidekick goes with him and when he's in the tabernacle in the presence of the Lord he says he just doesn't want to leave he wants to be there he wants to enjoy it he wants to soak it in more well the temple is the modern day version of this tabernacle this is the place where people are meant to go and to soak in God's presence and as Jesus sees it this house of prayer this this form with which prayer is this way that God's people connect with him in this real and tangible way. And when he goes in and he sees that it is not a house of prayer, that it has become a den of thieves, he is infuriated. He turns the tables and he chases them all out. So, you know, this is the main point I really want to, want to pull out of this passage, is that there is this clear desire, this clear um, implication for us that God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, a building where God's people come with an attitude of prayer and an expectation that they will speak to God and God will hear what they say. Prayer, of course, is more than just rattling off a list of um, uh, requests. But prayer is the, the means, it's the way with which the relationship between God and his people is built and fostered. You know, if you are married to your husband or your wife and you never talk to them, that's a problem, isn't it? But through those conversations, that's how your relationship will strengthen and grow. So it is with God and his people. If you never talk to God, that's going to be a problem, an obstacle for your 
uh, relationship. But prayer is the means with which we get to do this more and more. And we see this throughout the New Testament, the importance of prayer for the people of God. Um, Paul writes about it a number of times. Uh, he writes about it in uh, Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. He says um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, the second shortest verse in the Bible, pray continually. Great memory verse, that one. Kids, remember that one. Pray continually. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He says to the, Philipp uh, to the Philippians in chapter 2, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Uh, a theme you can pull out, you know, as many times as any other in the New Testament writings, this importance of prayer in the life of God's people. James writes about it at length. Here's a small section uh, where he says in uh, uh, chapter 5, I believe, um, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayers offered in faith will make the sick people well and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. He goes on, he talks about Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Um, how the power of the prophet Elijah, you know, he was famous for doing miraculous works like um, praying and there was drought on the land for three years. Um, uh, verse the 400 prophets of Baal, you know, only in prayer God sends down fire and lights the altar, you know, all these sort of spectacular things. But the, the point James makes is that the power of Elijah was the power of prayer. It was not of himself that he would bring these things. He would pray and then God would respond to his prayers. Um, uh, James says that the prayers of God's people are powerful. They are for all situations. Prayers can bring drought. They can set altars ablaze. This is what God's people should do. This is how we should engage with our God. So the question for us as we sit here, in 2023 and we read uh, this passage and these other passages must be this is our house a house of prayer as i read that and thought about it this week i thought that's the question that sticks out to me is our house a house of prayer if jesus was to walk through today pop his head in and have a look around would he see what he expects to see or would he flip a couple tables before he leaves is our house a house of prayer um i i've grown up kind of in in evangelical churches you know um uh, anglicans to start with and then in the uniting church um and as i think about it i think us evangelicals are not good when it comes to prayer I think there's other traditions, other churches that do it an awful lot better than we do. I think we underemphasize prayer in our practice as God's people. Uh, our, our gatherings, um, we do lots of really good things. We fill them with the word of God, with preaching, with song and all that kind of stuff. But often prayer is just a small part that's kind of sprinkled in it, isn't it? When you think about it. If you were to write the hierarchy of what we prioritise in our gatherings, prayer would be further down that list. 
all those other things we do are good. You know, um, <clears throat> the word and preaching and song and sharing communion as we did today. But yet, my house should be a house of prayer. Uh, there's this guy that some of you know of called uh, Jim Saibala. I probably said that name terribly wrong. Uh, but he is um, one, or at least he was, I'm not sure if he still is, uh, one of the, the pastors at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. Um, and um, he's hugely into prayer ministry. That's, that's kind of for him, it's kind of like one of the primary things that he does. They, at his church, um, had this Wednesday prayer meeting. Um, and the Wednesday prayer meeting was really the thing that helped this church grow in Brooklyn. And um, they would have these meetings where people would come, really come for prayer. Uh, they would come for prayer for themselves or prayer for others. They would come for prayer for healings. They would come for prayer for the world. You know, there was no, like, set agenda. People would just come for prayer. And his reflection on it was um, Wednesday night would dictate Sunday morning. As in, he was, what happened on Wednesday night would always dictate what happened on the Sunday services. Because when people really came on Wednesday night for prayer and were hungry, you could see God was going to do something. And he would say, you know, I would, I would know that it was going to be a good Sunday because of what happened on the Wednesday night. There is something important about us as God's people um, making his house a house of prayer. You know, often when we think about, you know, the, 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 the problems that we have in church today and church growth and all this sort of thing, we, we, we think about solutions to our problems um, in terms of uh, strategy or we think about them in terms of getting uh, the right person in the right role or having the right program and running all, all of these sorts of things. And all these things are good and all, all these things are important. Um, but what I think is more important is that God's people are committed to the ministries in prayer. Do we really think, like, just having the slick program is going to be the thing that grows the church? Or do I really think that actually God blessing the work of here and moving in the hearts of the people of our community, that's what's going to grow the ministries of the church? No. I stand up in front of a lot of people and I give a lot of gospel presentations and talk about Jesus, talk about the Bible all the time, but I recognise there's nothing I'm going to say that's really going to change anyone. There's nothing I'm ever going to say that's really, really going to change someone's life. It's only the Spirit that does that. And my hope is that in, in sharing God's Word, that it opens an opportunity for the Spirit to move in the hearts of people. If that is true, then the, really the key to church growth is that God's people recognise that this is a house of prayer and that we put all things before God in prayer. If not, are we relying too much on ourselves? Are we relying on having the right person, the charismatic leader? that's going to tell us what to do and how to do it, or having that slick program or having the slick worship team or whatever it is. Really, the more I think about it, the more I go in through my ministry in my life and I think back about, uh, uh, you know, how I've done my ministry and all that kind of stuff, the more I recognise, man, it's really just not about me at all. Like when I've done things that were terribly wrong, I've had amazing responses, and when I've done things I thought were amazing... Nothing's come out of it? Well, because it's not about me. Right? My house is a house of prayer. Um, years ago, I did an alpha course, um, not in this church, another church, and um, I did a letterbox drop before, before the alpha course. I've told this story before. Forgive me if you've heard it. 
and a guy just from the community came. Um, I can't remember his name now. But um, he had had a past Christian connection and had long fallen away from the church. And when he saw this flyer, he thought this was an opportunity to maybe just test the waters and reconnect. And Anyway, um, one of the, one of the uh, sessions is about why and how do I pray? And we're talking, we're going through the session, all this kind of stuff. And then he shares this story, which was like infinitely better than anything we'd done in the, se- in the session. He was like, oh, look, when I was in Calcutta, because he was an uh, Indian-Australian um, uh, immigrant, when I was in Calcutta, um, I spent a little bit of time working with Mother Teresa. I was like, what? Okay. You know, name drop. All right. Um, and uh, he was like, you know, there was this one day when... Uh, we had just kind of run out of medical supplies. Part of what they did was they would take in the lowest caste because they would just get no medical attention and they'd look after the metal, the, 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 the Dalits, the lowest caste in Calcutta. And um, they went to Mother Teresa and said, we've got nothing. It's all, the cupboards are bare. And she's like, hmm, well, I need to go and pray about this. So she takes some nuns and off they go and they close the door and they start to pray. And he was like, we're saying, don't pray about it, get on the phone. Get on the phone. You're Mother Teresa. You can just say to people, give us stuff, and they'll go, oh, okay, and they'll give you stuff. You know, like, anyway, off they went. They went and they prayed. They all went home, not sure exactly what they were going to do in the, in the ensuing days. Uh, and as he said, the next day, the truck pulls up out the front and says, oh, we have all this stuff. We've been meaning to drop it off for a while. Here you go. All the things that they needed. And the cupboards were full. Now, this is the story of a guy who's not a believer. This is the story of a guy who's not sure what he thinks about God. He's not sure if he believes God's there or not. And we're all sitting there and we're listening to it and we're like, well, why are we even doing this session? You know, like, your, your, your story, your, life, your lived experience is infinitely more powerful than anything we're doing in this questionnaire here. But this is the, this is the reality, right? I, I feel like us as evangelicals, we've just, you know, we've forgotten this. You know, we've forgotten the importance of prayer. We've just, you know, just kind of lowered it on that hierarchy of things that are good and important to do. And yet there is this simple truth that when Jesus walks into the temple, he says, my house is a house of prayer, but you've lost that. That is his frustration. We're going to do this series when we are going to talk about the importance of prayer. And you know what I hate? As we do a talk, we do a series about a thing, and we go, yes, that's a great thing. And then we go home and we just, you know, do nothing different. Like, oh, wasn't that a great sermon about um, reaching out? I hope someone does it. Or, you know, wasn't that, wasn't that a great sermon about being generous? Yeah, I hope some of those rich people can be generous. You know, if we're doing a series about something, shouldn't we do it? Do you not think? Do you not think if we're actually going to talk about prayer that we should actually try and improve and encourage our prayer life? I think we should, guys. I think we should. Um, Here's the encouragement. Um, 9 a.m. right here. We want this house to be a house of prayer. We want this house to be a house of prayer. Um, Years ago, we had prayer meetings morning and night. um, And uh, Wes was really little, so I, I was coming to the night ones. didn't make the morning ones. And every kind of evening, I'd like walk over the hill and be like, oh, to the prayer meeting. And every evening I'd walk back being like, oh, wow, I'm really glad I went to the prayer meeting. <laughs> it's like the gym. 
Like you never really want to go, but you're glad that you went, right? That's what it's like when it comes to premiums. You're like, oh, I don't know if I've got the energy for this. But you walk away going, yeah, I'm really glad I did. Uh, 9 a.m., we're going to meet right here, and we're going to make this a house of prayer. We're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray that there might be revival in the hearts of the people of the Warrywood Valley. Just out there, out those beautiful windows, there's a whole valley of people. And this church was put on this hill so that it might reach those people. Let's meet and pray about that. It's nothing we're going to do. It's no slick like advertising that's going to get them in. It's, it's the work of the Spirit that's going to get them in the door. It's the work of the Spirit that's going to actually change people's hearts. Pray about our youth. Pray about our beautiful children's ministry. Man, the list of things that we should be taking to the Lord in prayer is far longer than I have time to talk about now. We're going to be disciplined. Me and Simon are going to be disciplined. We're going to get in here early. We're going to have all of our things done. We're going to have the slides in the thing. We're going to have it. We're going to make sure we put in the extra effort to make it happen. The musos, sorry, musos, you're going to have to be organised too. You're going to be done by 9am. It's going to be finished. Um, so that this can be a house of prayer. We're going to be doing this all through the, uh, the month of September. Um, because I would hate for us to do a whole series on prayer and then at the end of the day have not really spent any extra time in prayer. Does that not, not seem a little bit ironic? Um, Simon, could I hand it over to you now to lead us in prayer? We'll have our final song. Thanks, band. <laughs>